welcome to the Who is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk. Uh, this is my journey as I continue to learn more about who God is by seeing how he interacts in the lives of others. And I'm excited today to have with me John Winkleman uh, as my guest. Uh, John is a father, a husband. Um, he is a preacher's kid. He has uh, been a pastor. Um, and you're currently working on a master's degree, is that right? I am indeed. And so you stepped out of the active ministry into just daily life, being a dad, working a job, paying the bills, and trying right. to go to school and do all that together. Um, and that brought you into a small group setting where you and I got to meet. Absolutely. And uh, it's been great to have you be a part of that. Thank you. Um, and so I want to say thanks for coming on. I know you've got a lot of things going on in your life and taking time out uh, to be a part of this podcast is uh, I, that's a that's a big deal to me. I know you're taking a, taking the time out, and I appreciate that. So thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about. I mean, I threw some stuff out there. Tell us about yourself. All right. Well, I was born at a young age. Uh, <laughs> that's what my brother always says. Uh, no, I was born uh, to a pastor's family, and so you know, God and um, that whole conversation has kind of always been a part of my life. Uh, I am fourth of nine kids, okay. and uh, I have the distinction of uh, intending to be the last and then ending up not being the last. So I was the baby till I was seven years old, and then my parents had five more kids. So, yeah. Okay. So I call myself a, a kind of like a baby, but not. So I, I can right. get away with a lot, but yeah. Because you were the baby for quite a while. I was. You know, and I've heard stories about how, you know, here was the big clump of kids. And then there was one more kind of a quote, oops, at the end, but five more. Yep. We call it two families. It's kind of, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> um, I'm guessing at that point it wasn't an oops anymore. No, it was intentional. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was uh, a surgery and a reversal that obviously worked and uh, okay. five more kids. So Wow. Yeah. So seven years between you and the next. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were... Then do you have the traits of the, the baby? Yeah, I, I kind of refer myself as a firstborn baby because I have some of the firstborn tendencies from being an older brother, but then baby tendencies because I was. so. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. So that's your family. Like, where did you grow up? Tell us about growing up. All right. Well, I was born in San Jose, California. My dad pastored uh, Maranatha Bible Church there for 11 and a half years. And uh, there I... The church was awesome, multicultural, so I grew up with every nationality under the sun, and I thought that was normal. Um, and then we moved up to Bernie, California, which is a tiny little town, northeast corner of the state, uh, hour from Walmart, uh, and dad pastored there um, for – well, he's still there, so still pastoring there. Okay. And uh, so went from – kind of a real, very middle of the city setting to very rural uh, in a logging town in Northern California. So, um, and then, yeah, I was four when we moved. Uh, so then three years there and then added, started adding the rest of the family. So, all right. So what was growing up like for you then? Well, uh, obviously church was very much um, a part of our lives. And so um, I was actually, a month shy of my fifth birthday when I trusted in Christ. Um, it was, I had, uh, after a baseball game, cornered my mom and talked to her about, Hey, I, uh, see something in you guys that I don't, I don't have. And, um, 
So she said, oh, well, we'll talk to dad. So the next day was Sunday, and then it was after Sunday night service, so all his work day's done. And I uh, knelt down in front of our couch there. They walked me through the gospel, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. So, before you were Right before you were five yep, years old. a month before my fifth birthday. What was it you saw? I think really it was – it was peace and it was, um, I guess I would define it now, not then, but now as a spiritual awareness of, of just, um, of spiritual things, you know, and, and at the time I knew I didn't have an awareness of kind of like who God was, uh, as fully as they did. Um, part of that too, my sister painted me this picture of like, uh, the empty tomb and a staircase up to heaven, you know, and if I remember right, she said something about, you know, you, you got to walk this staircase sort of thing, believe in, in the Lord. And so that got my mind going on the topic as well. So as far as why, how do how did you walk the staircase or that yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah. And like, how do you, okay, how do I get from here to there, you know, uh, from where I am to heaven? Right. Yeah. So was there then a change in your life at that point? Uh, I would say, yeah, I, there, I remember previous to that, there being fear, you know, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night, scared, go to my parents' room, sleep on their floor. I wouldn't wake them up. I'd just lay down on the floor, just like their presence uh, was comforting. And I don't really remember much of that after uh, trusting in Christ. Um, I've actually not put that together till just now, but just not, anyway. yeah. Yeah. What's well, awesome. Um, that's part of learning to tell your story and that that's kind of the, a book we're starting to go through. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing how telling our story, oftentimes we start to realize, oh, wow, that's yeah. why I do that. Okay. I like it. That makes sense. So gave your life to Christ, a little less fear. Yep. Um, and apparently there in that moment, even as a, as a child, you must have – it sounds like you maybe felt um, that they had a peace that you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, you said that, but – now, as a, understanding a child and waking up in the middle of the night and, and having a little bit of fear of, you know, the boogeyman or shadows or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. here you are there. Yeah. So, so then what was that like then growing up? Well, I, what I often tell people is uh, I had a great family and we didn't have a lot of problems, so I created my own. Um, no, just a – I would say like my entire life I knew – my future was secure, right? I've never really doubted my salvation, but I definitely did not always walk with the Lord. And mm -hmm. so that has been, I guess, really the learning process for me is like, what does a walk with Christ actually look like practically? And I mean, obviously that's a lifelong journey, a right. lifelong yeah. thing to learn. But that really for me was, I think started then. And then just growing up and, in a, in a pastor's home, you know, with all the stereotypes of that, it being a fishbowl and, and being seen and things like that, uh, you know, looking back, I can see that there was a lot of emphasis, whether uh, from others or from myself on performance. And so that I think really shaped a lot of who I was and what I did was because I wanted to appear uh, a certain way, whether that was what was going on internally or not. And, that, and some of that, I'm assuming, comes from being in a smaller town. Sure. This Everyone is, knew dad. <laughs> this is the preacher, the, you know, the pastor this and his family, and you were part of that pastor's. So you had to perform like the world would expect you to perform. Sure. I definitely felt that. And again, whether that was put on me or I put it on myself, I don't know. But that was, that was the end result. <laughs> so what were, what were some of that, some of those performances? 
Well, I think um, a lot of it was, I, I remember, you know, Sunday mornings I would run around and greet everyone. Um, and I think part of that was personality, but part of it was after that became like a recognized thing. Oh, John greets everyone. That became like, oh, so I have to do that. You right. Know? Somebody caught you doing it once. Now that's how everybody identifies you and, and how you as a kid would identify yourself. Absolutely. And and definitely, you know, now looking back, realizing like it was it was always portrayed as a positive thing. And so being like, oh, that felt good. It felt good to get that positive reinforcement. And mm. so to continue to kind of pursue that, I think. So then it was more almost as much continuing to look for that positive reinforcement as much as like doing it because this is where I feel God's leading me. Sure. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like it was wanting that affirmation that I'm okay because I'm performing, um, was definitely something that I felt again, wouldn't have identified it then, but can definitely see it now that a lot of my behavior was because I wanted people to be like, Oh, good boy. Get those, you know, right. Pet me a little bit, I guess. (laughs) Well, and I think I, I was working with a, a gentleman here just this last week where we were talking about where was his identity, hmm. where where did that that healthy part of his ego or unhealthy part of his ego come from? And he was struggling with some areas where it, it didn't come from his identity in Christ. Yeah. It came from what other people said or, or thought of thought of him. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, looking back, having done uh, work in my life now, just thinking that my acceptance was based on my performance is how I felt. And so if I wasn't performing, then I wasn't accepted. And, uh, you know, again, identifying that now, but that definitely shaped how I interacted with people because it was, I'm, I've got to say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way so that I'm accepted. And that was driving your identity, your acceptance. Um, and if you felt accepted by people, then that equated to you at some level to be feeling accepted by God. Yeah, I would, would I would think so. Um, yeah. And that's something I would say, even now I'm slowly unlearning that, you know, intellectually, I understand, of course, God accepts us for who we are apart from nothing, but practically I, I still struggle sometimes to believe that I think, um, in my day to day life, like, okay, I know this is true. I need to live it out as though it is true and uh, the head and the heart difference. <laughs> and, and even in I, listening to you say that even there's still that performance drive to, I need to live it out as if it's true. Sure. As opposed to, I just need to believe it and make it part of who I am. And then that life flows out of that. Belief. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's the struggle. Yeah, right. Um, and so there's that idea of if you're performing, you're getting the accolades and you're getting the acceptance. Did you also like that's what you're chasing after? But did you also kind of find yourself sometimes running from the if people reject me, then maybe God will reject me as well? Was was the other side of that coin, coin there? Yeah, I think so. It was yeah, if if I don't meet the standard then I'm going to be rejected by everyone, right? And I, I guess I probably would have included God in that. Like, God's not going to be happy with me if I don't do X, Y, and Z. Was that kind of your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And was that, can you think of some times where maybe that was kind of pushing you or preventing you from um, being open about your performance? Oh, definitely. I mean, so 
part of my story is um, getting exposed to pornography at a really young age and becoming really addicted to that at a, at a fairly young age. And so that was a hidden secret thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that kind of struggle kind of defined my life for most of my life. And so instead of viewing myself uh, as Christ does, right. As accepted as loved and all those things, I viewed myself from the lens of if I'm struggling with sin, then I'm horrible. If I had a good day, then I'm good. I'm accepted. And so again, not doubting my salvation, but I guess not, not experiencing the relationship with God and with others that I probably could have or should have had I been able to see myself for who I was in Christ. How, what did that feel like emotionally? And well, actually let, let me back up a little yeah, bit yeah. before we get, get quite into that. Like what age did you start to wrestle with this? So I was exposed to pornography at seven. Um, I would say pretty fairly well addicted by like 12. Um, and so, so we're talking elementary yes, and just getting into middle school. Yeah. And so that became kind of the, the defining struggle of my life, right? Like, so everything right. was based on how I was doing with that particular sin issue. If I was doing good, then I was okay if I wasn't. And, and the thing is it creates a blindness to anything else in your life, whether good or bad, because that issue just loomed so large over me. So I'm, I'm just trying to picture or just wind myself back to yeah. elementary, middle school and, um, and having not only the addiction, but also a small town. Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of still performing at that point. Yes. Um, for the church. Um, did it did it feel like – what was that like for a kid? Was it like leading two lives? Did you even equate it to that level yet? Probably n not that early on. I mean definitely by the time I was – I would say 15, 16, it was a – it was a double life. I do this in public, but in private, I do this. And so as a kid, I guess what it felt like was I constantly felt like a failure, right? Like I'm disappointing God. If anyone knew the real me, they wouldn't, you know, they would just totally reject me. And so now looking back, I can see how that colored really every interaction that I had. You don't know the real me. If you really did, you would reject me. Hmm. And so having that kind of really impact every every interaction that I had. Again, not seeing it then, but seeing right. it now. But you do now going back. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's, let's not do the reflecting back yet. Let's see if we can't actually rewind and sure. be in that moment a little bit. Um, because I think there's a lot of listeners who are experienced very similar, if not the same thing. Um, and, and maybe they haven't gone back and thought about, really looked at, what they were experiencing at the time to truly understand it sure. and how it impacts us today. Um, I know I had a conversation earlier today about how um, an individual was talking about this event that happened years ago has totally colored their entire life. Um, and it was one event, one time, a, a somewhat traumatic event, but it has caused them to act and react in situations that they're not in the moment when they're reacting. They're still reacting to those years before. Sure. But they don't realize it. So the people around them might be like, that's a really weird reaction or an overreaction to the situation. 
something's not right with you, mm. but that individual's like, yeah, I know something's not right with me, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So let's go back to those as a kid. What did that, was there internal struggle other than just, uh, you know, if you really, it was just some guilt. What was that? Yeah, I think definitely guilt and then shame. So looking back, one of the things that I think influenced all of that was um, sex wasn't a topic that we talked about, right? It was like a dirty word that was avoided. And so natural curiosity was almost discouraged. So then you feel guilty for doing that and then you feel shame because you're like, well, I'm, there must be something wrong with me if I'm curious about this or if I can't stop doing this or looking at this. And so – Again, it, it ends up with this shapes your whole view of yourself. Like, and and I would define shame as being how you view yourself. Right? Shame is I am a bad person, and that was definitely what I believed. Where guilt is, I think, sometimes positive. Where guilt is, I did something wrong, so I feel bad about it. But shame is I am wrong, and so mm. that would definitely be how I saw myself. Like, I was a bad person because I had these feelings or these thoughts or was looking at pornography or whatever it might be. So then did you feel a little bit like an imposter in that here you are, you've supposedly given your life to Christ. You're in a pastor's family. You're in the church and seen and performing every Sunday twice, maybe Wednesday nights, Friday nights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and you're performing, but was there, did you have a relationship with God? What, yeah. Those and, years? What was that like? And that's kind of, one of the things that I look at as kind of a weird thing is that I read my Bible every day, prayed every day, um, didn't just go to church, but as I grew older, you know, led singing, taught Sunday school, all of those kinds of things. And so um, I, I think it was one of those things where it's like every morning it'd be like, I'd confess, okay, Lord, I, you know, I messed up or sinned or whatever and get the relationship right, fully intending to do better um, and then get to the end of the day and be like, well, there we went again. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe in some ways like my relationship with the Lord because I knew I was saved. I knew he loved me and cared about me. Yet at the same time, I felt that if I didn't meet a certain standard, I was going to be rejected. And so now as an adult looking back, I'm like, man, that was – I don't even know how I carried both of those things at the same time uh, mm -hmm. for so long. But I did. <laughs> you did. And you carried it for a lot of years. Yes. So I, I want to go back a little bit. And so uh, you talked about as we grow and mature, continuing to learn to walk with Christ. Yeah. Um, what was that walking with Christ? And, and, and I know there are times in my life where if I'm caught up in something, um, I just don't feel connected to Christ. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray, but I don't necessarily feel like I hear him. Sure. Um, I'll go to church, but I still feel like... Man, I can sing, and there's some days I, I have a great voice, and other days that my allergies got me, and I sound like, uh, you know, um, I sound like an old record skipping, you know, playing backwards. Or, um, but there have been those times where I feel like I'm a long way from God. Mm. Um, what was that like for you, learning to try and walk with God during that? Yeah, I think. Um, and what did it look like if I was a fly in the wall? Sure. Um, I, you know, looking back at reading my Bible, praying and stuff like that was definitely something I felt like I had to do. Right. So even that in itself was fell into the performance thing. Like if I'm doing that, I'm performing and I'm doing okay. And so as far as closeness with God went, 
there were definitely times where, okay, if I haven't acted out in sexual sin, then I'm, I'm feel close to him. Or if I have confessed it, you know, then I feel close to him. And so I, I kind of liken it to a roller coaster with really dramatic ups and downs Mm -hmm. and sometimes in the same day. Right. right. So start off in the morning feeling really good about my relationship with him. And then, oh, no, I cratered. But then I confessed and made it better. OK. You know, and so just kind of definitely a lot of uncertainty with the ups and the downs. And so it's one of those things where I look back and I think there's ways that my spirituality was immature because it couldn't progress past a certain point. So my knowledge progressed. What I knew progressed. Um, but as far as the relationship itself went, I think it progressed very, very slowly because it was constantly being stunted by how I saw myself. Sure. Sure. Well, and I I think there are times like I can read the Bible and I'm not connected to God. Sure. I'm just reading a book. Um, yeah, it happens to be the book, but (laughs) like, there's just not, I'm going through the motions. I know at times it, it, it kind of feels like, like almost like I'm in a spin cycle. Yeah, because you can get you can get that that process down. Sin, man, oh, I just did it like moments ago. Like it's a hesitance. God, I'm please forgive me. Yep. Like I I totally I knew what I was doing. Yeah. I chose to do it. I wish I hadn't. I don't know how to break this. You know. And and sometimes even ask, crying out in desperation, help me. I can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely did some of that. And I don't know when it started, but I think eventually my way of kind of managing it was like, okay, uh, I will um, act out until a certain day of the week and then I'll be really good for and to, to get to Sunday, you mm. know. And again, you know, looking back, it's like, wow, that was so performance based. But like, okay, if I can not act out for a few days, then I'm I'm better, you know, not even understanding the <laughs> the relationship dynamic of that. And so I think that started pretty young to be like, I want to be good on Sunday as if God's not present the rest of the week. Um, (laughs) And so that, that really became a pattern of my life. And, um, you know, you look back and it's like, wow, that's not, that's not building a relationship. That's again, all about the performance. So what led you, um, did this, being caught in this cycle, did that push you again? I mean, still perform somewhat performance, maybe that push you to try and get closer to closer. Like, was it, I'm assuming it was frustrating at some point. Like, sure. I, I got it there. I know there's healing um, because I've heard stories. I've seen it. Maybe tell us like some of that struggle. Did that push yeah. you on spur you on? Well, I think really, I didn't know that, that any, that there was freedom possible. Um, there were a few times like I would talk to, I talked to a few people over the years and not a lot happened. Right. Mm. So I would, I would share with someone, Oh, I have this struggle and they, you know, I mean the equivalent of, well, that sucks, you know? And, and that was kind of it. Mm. And so, so I did desperation then. I think so. It, desperation early on, but eventually it just, I think it led into resignation of just being like, I, I don't know how to get free from this. Apparently nobody else does. And so this is just, this is my life. And that, so there were definitely bouts there of, of depression of being like, this is, this is just, 
I'm stuck being a, you know, in my mind, like being a loser because I can't, I can't defeat this. I can't work past this. And so, um, so in this process, like, let, yeah. let me jump in here. So you're, you're now, um, cause, cause you battled this for a lot of years. Yeah. We're talking through high school. Yes. You finished high school, and what did you do after high school? Uh, so I worked for a couple of years, and then I went to a school in Texas. Um, and there actually is where I experienced probably my longest – well, not probably – my longest period of, uh, of freedom um, up until you know a few years ago. Uh, and so that was great. It was, it was like 10 weeks of freedom, but then right back into it. So, and then after that, so I was in Texas for a couple of years and then, uh, was, went to Bible college in Wyoming for three years. Um, again, the same, same struggle, still defining. So in the life. middle of struggling with this, you make a decision to go to Bible college. Yes. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> How do you qualify? Yeah, no. And that's, I think that was one of the biggest struggles of my life was feeling like this is what I've been called and gifted to do. Um, it's what I believe God wants me to do. And yet having this secret part of me that I don't expose, that I don't talk about. And so, you know, at, when how did I, you, how did you, ahead. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, when I was in Texas, there was guys that I talked with and it made me, you know, like that's when I started to, to, I guess, believe like, okay, talking to people can help. And then, oh no, actually, so I guess I was wrong. My my longest period of, of freedom was actually at Bible school, my, my entire first uh, semester. Um, and so there was a good group of guys. We, you know, would talk together and meet together, and it was great. And for whatever reason, it didn't last after that first semester. And were you talking about your struggles, or you yes. were just meeting? Okay, no, no, talking about our struggles specifically. You know, the area of sexual sin, um, and it was. I mean, it was great, but then it just it some of the guys left different things happened. Um, and so it didn't continue. And so getting right. And I think looking back, there was definitely shame being like, okay, I, my sobriety or whatever from this issue didn't last past going home, you know, on break. And so didn't really talk to people again much after that. So let's go, let's roll back to this. Yeah. You, you talked about feeling called sure. to ministry, to go to Bible college in the midst of this struggle how does it, what do you mean by you felt called? How did you know you were called? Okay. So, um, when we look at the spiritual gifting, right? Um, I believe the spirit gifts us with specific abilities and talents that we're supposed to use for him and for his glory. And so one of the things from early on is, uh, I wasn't great at sports. I wasn't great at a lot of these other things, but I could talk in front of people. And so that's ability. And then recognizing that not only could I talk in front of people, but I could um, look at scripture and I could explain it to people in a way that was easy for them to understand um, and a way that they found they connected with and was beneficial to them. So I really felt like this is what this is what I've been gifted to do. It's And then there was something always so fulfilling about seeing people grasp truth, uh, take it into their lives and living it out. And I think in some ways it's like, well, when I look back, I'm like, well, I couldn't do that myself, but it's great to help other people do it. And I don't know if that played into it or not, but it seems like it probably did. But I think, again, looking back, a lot of it, again, was performance, mm -hmm. was if I'm performing to this level of like, okay, I'm the guy on the stage that people are looking at, 
then I felt fulfilled and I felt, you know, I think approved and accepted and, and close to God. And so, sorry to your question of feeling called, it's mostly just a, that was how I was gifted. That's what I was um, good at. Other people saw that and affirmed that. And it was something that still I'm passionate about. I want to see people mm-hmm. growing in their walk with Christ. I want to see them learning truth uh, and not just not just saying, well, I'm a Christian. I don't really know anything about God or the Bible, but I'm a Christian. I want people to know the truth because it really is. It's the truth that sets us free and the truth that um, really – we can't have a relationship with God if we don't know who he is. So you talk a little bit there about being used by God yeah. to, to draw. He was using you to draw others to him. Mm-hmm. He was impacting, making changes in their life. Even if you couldn't see the change in your life, at least maybe if I'm being used by God, maybe that's something. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that was definitely a subconscious thought. Um, here's your consolation prize. You don't yeah. give freedom like everybody else, but here's your ribbon. Yeah, absolutely. A participation. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I met my wife at Bible school and did talk with her. Oh, I have this struggle, but I, of course, couched it all as if it was something in the past. And um, and one of the things. You Why did you do that? Well, again, it's the performance thing because I was by this point subconsciously convinced that if people knew what I was really struggling with, no one would accept me. And so my yeah, you don't belong in Bible college. Yeah, if you're, if you're filled with sin. Yeah, you know, exactly. Everybody in Bible college is perfect. Exactly. No sin anymore. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, and it's one of those things where there's so looking back, there was so much fear, so much fear of being exposed, so much fear of people finding out uh, who I really am, you know? And, but yet again, looking back every time I actually was honest and authentic with people and vulnerable, there wasn't, there wasn't rejection, right? There was acceptance and there was help offered. And so it's, it's one of the traps of, of our enemy, right? To keep us thinking that, exposure is going to lead to really bondage when it's Mm -hmm. actually the opposite. Exposure is what leads to freedom. You know, and I think that right there, that fear that we have that if somebody were to find out, then I'd be done. Yeah. It's over. My life is done. You know, and and I spent a lot of time in politics. And one of the things that as I would help people in their campaigns and, and run for higher office and that kind of stuff, a lot of times it was, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to have a meeting. What are all your skeletons? Yeah. And we're going to get them out there. We're going to tell the world about them and we're going to deal with it today. And then we won't ever have to deal with it again. Um, and it kind of oftentimes didn't matter what the skeletons were. Yeah. You got yeah. them out, say, you know what? 10 years ago, 20 years ago, back in college, I da, 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 da. you get it all out. There it is dealt with. And what you find was, Contrary to this idea that people are going to reject you, yeah. when people find out you're not perfect, their natural instinct is to care for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and compassion, not the rejection. And I think, isn't that amazing that God just designed us that way to when someone else is struggling, our natural reaction is to step in and help and yeah. accept them and love them exactly where they're at. And yet there's these 
lies yep. that that's not the case. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that was definitely the lie that I believed that any, if people find out I'm not, I don't perform, then I'm going to be rejected. And so, uh, so we're, we're talking about your <coughs> wife. You told her sure. it's in the past. Sure. I, I, I'm inoculated from that. Yeah. Because you were afraid that yeah. here, this amazing woman would reject you. Yep. That was definitely it. Yeah. And did that taint the relationship? I probably wouldn't have said so at the time, but definitely, um, absolutely. And so, yeah, because we were married for four years before I finally confessed and said, okay, I'm, I wasn't as free and never have been, you know? Um, and then it was, we, we, you know, tried a program or whatever, and that didn't, didn't seem to take, you know, mm -hmm. and then it's, it's the same fear all over again. Okay. Well now I'm not doing good again, but how do I, how do I say that without I'm going to get rejected and same fear kicks in and, you know, years uh, more of battle and struggle until finally, um, finding, uh, finding that it's in community, it's in fellowship with other guys who are willing to be open and honest that I actually found the freedom I'd been looking for. Right. So how did how did she respond when you initially told her about that's in my past? Um, I think the comment was was almost kind of like uh, we need to make sure it's in the past kind of thing. And I think that you know, and we've her and I have talked about it since. And it's like um, I think that was definitely like okay, well I better make sure she never finds out if I do struggle because otherwise, you know, it's all over kind of thing. That just kind of turned the flame up on the shame. Didn't sure. It? And it, obviously that wasn't her intention at all. Um, I think, you know, looking back, she was, we were both young. She was probably shocked and scared as well. And so it just, you know, both of us reacting out of, out of our own insecurities. Well, what, let, let me roll into that. A moment. Yeah. And, and because, you know, I know, like when I went through my divorce and everything fell apart, what I found was the people around me didn't know what to say. Sure. Because they hadn't been through it. They didn't know anybody who'd gone through it. And so in this moment, it sounds like you're young. She's young. You don't really know a lot about what's going on. You don't know a lot about how to overcome. Yeah. And, and it's not something anybody talks about. Yeah. So there is that level of fear. Yeah. And don't touch it. Yep. You'll get infected. Yeah, absolutely. Is that kind of how you dealt with it at the time? Well, and I think it, yes. And also like I didn't know how to talk about it. You know, there, there had been times where I'd talked with people and that was was great. But still the the overwhelming message that I had heard um uh, probably not intentionally on anyone else's part, but the overwhelming message I had heard was you, this, you can't be like this. You can't get free from this. Um, th I didn't really know that there was help and freedom available. And so it's like, well, I have to deal with this on my own and definitely never, ever, ever tell anyone about it. <laughs> right. And yeah. And so you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So you don't do anything. Yeah. And you stay stagnant and you stay caught in fear and in unworthiness. Sure. Um, uh, in, in a very dark place. Yeah. At least part of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to come out and pretend you're in the light. Yeah. All the while feeling 
Like you're cloaked in darkness. Yep. Feeling completely unworthy. So, so in hindsight, yeah, you think you're doing the, you both think you're doing the right thing. Um, or at least the best, you know, how sure. And that impacted your marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, not that I would have ever noticed or recognized, but when you're trapped in something like that, you can't be authentic. Right. And so who my wife believed me to be didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that you can't build a, a good, strong marriage really on a foundation like that. Right. Cause, cause you're not authentic. Yeah. So there's no real intimacy. No, not, uh, I don't know if it's you or anyway, I've heard it into me. You see, there wasn't yeah. any of that, right? Because right. I, there was a wall there and looking back as we've talked about it, she definitely felt that, but didn't know what it was, you know, and didn't know right. what, how to, how to navigate that, how to address it. And so, uh, it, it definitely impacted our marriage. And then once I, when we were four years in revealed, okay, no, this is still a struggle. Well, then Again, as we've talked about it, there's so much stress and pressure then put on her and her feeling like she has to be the gatekeeper and she has to, you know, try to make sure that I'm doing good, which was never should have been put on her, you know, mm. but we didn't know. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, just spending years. So, of her, so now this go. performance, you can't perform on your own. So now she's responsible for your performance. Yeah. Which yeah. like, like that's, <laughs> that can't happen. It can't like. I can't make myself do things, let alone make somebody else do or sure. not do things. Exactly. And then for her, fear comes in because, you know, by this point we're in ministry and it's, well, if anyone finds out about this, then our livelihood gone is gone. Our home is gone. And so we've got to keep this under our wraps. testimony. Yeah. And so even more stress and pressure put on her um, in some ways, not intentionally. We just, we didn't know. And we were both so afraid that if this was exposed, then uh, we lose everything. Mm. And and in hindsight, you, both of us are like, it probably would have been better to lose everything to get freedom a lot earlier. Right. But you know, you're, you're trapped and stuck in it and we didn't, we didn't know what to do. Um, so through all this, what are you learning about God through this process? Yeah. I think again, always for me, it was just like, God wants me to perform. And as long as I perform, God's happy with me. And so I think in some ways, as I'm, as I'm processing it right now, I almost think I almost had scales in my head of like, okay, uh, I got to every day before every week before Sunday, I got to balance the scales out a little bit and try to be good enough to get up there and preach the word or interact with people. And so, and in, in your, in your mind, you're trying to live out the gospel according to Winkleman. Sure. Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, looking at it now, absolutely. And yet preaching the gospel according to John. Yeah you know, or Matthew, Mark, or Luke, yeah. but yet you're living a different gospel. Sure. Sure. Uh, living in, not in freedom, you know? And again, uh, the way I, my, my theology, I guess, like I, I believe I was saved and, and I know I didn't doubt my salvation. It just, I didn't, my relationship was so defined by my faults and failures rather than by who I was or who I am in Christ. And so, when you're when you're trapped like that in in getting stuck in okay this is all about what I'm doing, um, you can't have there's not a lot of confidence in your uh, abilities in your relationships and any of these things there's so, there's so much hidden that you can't 
I think to a large extent, I didn't even know who I was. Mm. And because so, you're spending, you, I, I've heard it likened to you're wearing a mask. Sure, absolutely. That you're putting on a mask that you think the world should see. It's not who you really are. And you were spending so much time maintaining the mask, yeah. keeping it painted and looking just right that you didn't even know who, who you were. Yeah, no. And and I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I, I would tell people, oh, I'm just not really an introspective person. Well, I wasn't because I didn't like what I saw. And so mm. when I, I, I would look at scripture, I knew what God said about me, but I didn't believe it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's totally – I would tell everybody that's true for them. But I wouldn't internalize it uh, again, thinking, well, I'm not performing, so I'm not good. Um, here's here's the solution. It just doesn't work for me. Sure. And, and, and I don't know why. Yeah, and I would never have said that to anyone because I don't think I would have even recognized it myself at the time. Hmm. Yeah. So l- let's, let's sit on that for a moment. So someone listening is probably in the middle of this and – they're just starting to have the seed of the idea planted that they're living a mask. Mm. They're living a fake life. They don't even know who they are. They don't even know to know that this life they're living isn't who they really are inside. What does that, what does that look like as you start to rec- recognize that? What thoughts go through your mind? What emotions do you have? What's your experience? Yeah. Um, I think for me, a lot of it was honestly anger just because like it, if I would have found freedom sooner, you know, there's always the what ifing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have I have four kids and being like, OK, if I could have found freedom sooner, I could have been a better dad. I could have been a better husband. I could, you know, um, and so there's frustration, there's anger with that. But then there's also um, – sadness just i spent spent so much so many years wasting just because i was unwilling to take that step of faith and obedience or whatever it might be to be authentic to be open and so if somebody is sitting in that place like the thing is everything that you know to be true about god is true and it's true for you and it took me uh, – and, and I still feel like I'm on that journey of like recognizing that on a daily basis of being like mm-hmm. all these things that I know, they are true. And I have to take ownership of that actively. Um, and if that's true, what does that mean to me? And and am I living as if it's true? Yeah. Yeah. If I am truly chosen, right? God didn't do that on accident. God doesn't like, oh, how'd that name get on the book of life? My bad. Right. It was an it was an active, deliberate choice that God chose to save me, that I'm accepted in him, that Christ died to redeem me. And it's uh saying all those things is one thing, but believing them and recognize and really just sitting in them is sometimes what I, I think I struggle with the most. It's just sitting there and being like, okay. I need to repeat this to myself because this is true about me. Right. And um yeah, still learning that. <laughs> so so there's probably somebody listening right now who's in that situation where they're struggling with something. Maybe they realize it's a mask, maybe not. Um but they're struggling with something. 
and the people closest to them don't know they're struggling. Mm-hmm. What, um, first of all, can you, can you, and I'm not saying this isn't a yes or no question. I mean, like, would you identify with them a little bit about what that feels like, what that, what that seems like, how that, what that experience is. And then the second part would be, what would you have them do or what would you say to them? How could you encourage them moving forward? Sure. Um, so how it feels to be in that place is terrible. I mean, because you know you're not being authentic. You know that who you are underneath the surface is very different from the persona that you portray to everybody else. And so it you feel like a fraud all the time. Um, and I think that's really how I always felt. And so it's like if I even if even on my best day of performance, there's this little I don't know, a demon on my shoulder, maybe just saying, mm-hmm. you, you know that this isn't really you, right? You know that if a- everyone out there knew that who you really are, no one would accept or you. Right. And so the feeling is just of really of defeat. And I just, I can't like, you can't do it. Right. And, and in a daily, so what I hear you saying a little bit is, is, is I've done theater, I've been in stage, I've done a sure. number of productions, and you go out and you play the character on the stage, the lights are bright, you're singing, you're dancing, you're acting, whatever it is, and then you step off the stage, the curtain comes down, the lights go out, and there's this <sighs> mm-hmm. let down. I've been performing all day. And it's not uncommon for actors, especially in theaters, the stage actors, to at the end of a performance – to crash and be sick sure. for a week. Yeah. Um, that letdown. Did, did you experience some of that? Sure. Like in your moments of quiet, of uh, forced introspection, whatever it might be, you definitely feel the crash of like, you're so tired of maintaining the mask uh, of, of putting on the act. And I don't know that I even recognized that, but it was definitely true that I was so tired of putting on the act And so I've heard other people say, man, it was such a relief to get caught. And so I always say, well, I caught myself. I I always would end up confessing. But really it was because the weight would get so much. The mask I think would get so heavy that it's like, okay, I can't can't deal with this anymore. And so you you rip off the Band-Aid and and, and feel better momentarily until you get sucked back into the situation. Hmm. And as I'm trying to think about those moments where life, um, did life becomes kind of bland at some point? Yes and no. I, at times, but at other times, I, and this is where like, I think it, it is such the roller coaster because at the same time, there's such a, a rush, you know, of, uh, having a great parenting moment or, mm-hmm. or a great, husband moment or a great pastor moment. Like, and so I think it's those things that tend to fuel you to keep going, but it's, it's the roller coaster because then the, the lows are low and the highs are high and there's no, every, everything's extreme. Yeah. If that makes sense. You get, well, you get another hit yeah, because you've performed well. Yeah. You get the applause of the audience or, or you get the, the adrenaline kick because you, you know, but I think, for me, oftentimes it feels like 
life is dull. And so I would create mm. moments of excitement, moments where I'd build myself up so I could be, perf- you know, th- so I could perform, so I could have that sure. exceptional feeling. But then as soon as it was over, you know, just like anything from any high, you go down to the deep low. Sure. Yeah. And so being a passer, uh, with experiencing some of this, the, the high is almost built in, right? Mm. So you get, uh, if you're doing a Bible study midweek, you get a little jump, you know, and then you you hit Sunday and you, you get a jump and then, Oh, you know, downhill and then, okay, but it's coming back. And so, um, I think looking back, there's, there was unhealth in that because it was keeping me feeling like I'm, I'm doing okay because I had these moments of performance even when really I wasn't because mm-hmm. there was the lows and uh, yeah. And, and I think for some people, the, because you've got the mask, even if someone loves you, they're loving the mask. Sure. So you're not feeling the love because they're just loving your performance. You they're you're getting accolades for what you've done, not the acceptance and love for who you are. Sure. Yeah. That'd be exactly right. Is like anyone who who praises or recognizes anything you've accomplished in the back of your mind is always the yeah, but if you knew, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that's where I think relationships are unfulfilling. Yeah, life is unfulfilling. Um, and so you talk a little bit about um, how, well, how would you encourage that person to if this is what they're feeling, what do they do about it? Sure. Yeah. The, I think the biggest thing to know is like there is hope mm-hmm. you that doesn't have to be your life. Um, and so identify that one person in your life who you can be authentic and open and honest with and do it, you know, take that leap, take that step. And if you don't have that one person, uh, find them, mm-hmm. you know, um, for me, the program that we ended up doing is called pure desire. And so you can go on, they have a website find a a group that they have near you uh, or they can, you can do it online and find safe people because at the end of the day, that's what we need. We need safe people to talk with, to help us to uh, identify the errors in our own thinking, right? The errors in our own uh, self perception. So there's hope, there's help. Safe people are, are what you need. And so if you have one, awesome. If you don't find one <laughs> and, and maybe that first safe person isn't your spouse. Sure. Yeah. I would, I would almost say, don't make it your spouse, not because you don't want the connection and the intimacy, but because, um, if you're just kind of unloading on them, that can be pretty traumatic <laughs> for them. So find someone, uh, who, who can help you kind of walk through that. Uh, walk through the journey of, um, you know, finding some, some health and then talking with your spouse from that, you know, from kind of like a whole story standpoint instead of like little, little cuts <laughs> here and there. Well, okay. So I heard you uh, a little while ago, you talked about like your wife was carrying this burden when sure. you shared it with her. Um, I'm assuming what I'm kind of hearing here is, is that she probably wasn't the first safe person for you to go to. Probably shouldn't have been. Um, at the time, being so stuck and blinded, I didn't know how to identify a safe person, right? I was so afraid that if I told anyone, 
you know, the position would be lost. There'd be all these consequences that it was like, well, this is the only person I can tell. Um, because if I tell her, she's not going to take all that away because she'd lose it too. Yeah. I don't know if I even thought that much about it. Honestly, it was, it was just a, I feel so terrible about this and I know I'm lying to her. So I can't keep feeling this way. And in hindsight, it's like, man, it was so selfishly motivated because mm. it's like, I feel bad. I want to feel better. So I'm going to unload on her, you know? And then you put that burden on her that yeah. she didn't know how to carry. Yeah. Um, and, and we're not talking about not sharing with your spouse. No, not at all. But we're talking about the first person that's safe for you to go to, to start to learn this. Yep. May not be that spouse. How do you, how would you identify that person? Yeah. Well, if you're a guy, it needs to be another guy. If you're a gal, it needs to be another gal. Um, and I mean, ideally it, it would be someone who you know already, someone that you've talked with, maybe shared with a little bit already. Um, but it, unfortunately, you're never going to know if somebody is 100% safe, right? Mm -hmm. I wish you could. I wish I could tell you here's the magic formula, uh, but it's not there. Well, are, 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 is anyone ever 100% safe? Yeah, probably not. Probably because we're human. I <laughs> yeah. mean, like, like I can't create that safe space and I can't always be safe for everyone in sure. my life. Um, but is it also someone who's already gone through what you're going through. Sure. Yeah. That's a great place to start. And I think there's, there's like key markers, right? If it's someone who's always talking about, who's always, uh, I don't know, sharing the tea about everybody else. That's not someone you want to talk with. If it's someone who, you know, um, anytime you try to share something with them, they're like, Hey, how about them Packers, you know, or something right. like that. Again, they're, they're showing you they're not a safe person. It needs to be someone who, when you open up, they open up or when you open up, even if it's just to say, Hey, I had a, had a rough day yesterday. Their, their response is really what happened instead of, well, that's too bad. You know? Uh, so there's some key markers. I think all of us right. almost intuitively recognize, but yeah, someone who's been through the same thing is definitely a, a great place to start. And someone who's going to, what I hear you saying is somebody who, who's going to keep your story, your story and not share it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not going to broadcast it. Oh, did you hear what John told me? Let me tell you what John. Um, but also someone who has some understanding. Yeah. Some compassion. Um, you know, I think of, you know, you talk about pure desire. I think of, you know, if it's alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous or something sure. like that, celebrate recovery. Um, or if it's someone else in your family is going through something, find someone who has been there. Yeah. A... You know, not to go super generic, but a support group of people who have already experienced what you're going through and yeah. have found healing. Yeah. Um, they're oftentimes safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as cliche as it might sound, you can talk to a pastor if maybe they can point you to someone in the congregation. If you're like, I just I can't identify anyone, you know, they might be able to say, hey, you know, I know. I'm going to, I'm going to ask someone I know who's, who has shared this with me and I'll try to connect you guys. Um, yeah, I, the biggest thing is just because here's our tendency. Our tendency is to sit back and be like, well, I don't know anyone. And so we do nothing. Right. And we know where that leads, right? Cause that's where we've been. Right. And so just sitting and doing nothing is not the answer. It's right. not the solution. So 
I mean, I would hate it if you if you spoke to somebody and it turned out, oh man, they weren't a safe person. Right. But honestly, sitting on this side of it, it's better that than doing nothing. Hmm. It's better that I put myself into what I think might be a safe position that turns out unsafe and <laughs> big mm-hmm. explosion. Now I got to deal with all this too. That's better than not doing anything. Absolutely. So so let's talk about this. Yeah. Um, one of the things I learned this, I learned the bluff method. Oftentimes, if, if somebody's going to share something with me, I'll say bluff me. And they're like, what do you mean bluff? Bottom line up front, B-L-U-F. Yeah. So bottom line up front, you've... You talk about you've been set free. Yes. You've found freedom. Mm-hmm. It's. I'm sure it's not in – you're not done. Yeah. It's not over. But you've started to found free, find mm-hmm. freedom. You've started to find more intimacy, authentic relationship, authentic intimacy with your wife. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the bottom line for it. So we know that's where this story is going. Let's talk a little bit about the process of how you got there. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so – I think so. My wife and I started listening to podcasts. I don't even know, a long time ago. And on one of the Focus on the Family podcasts, we heard about Pure Desire. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. At the time, still definitely stuck. Wouldn't have called myself addicted. Started listening to the Pure Desire podcast. Um, I probably listened to it for a year or two before I actually um, went through the program. And so, uh, the kind of leading up to that, my wife had texted me something. Uh, about, you know, like, oh, I haven't asked you for a while. How are you doing? And I was finally honest and just like, you know, not so hot. And that led to a conversation, which then led to me looking up the options for pure desire, uh, got into a group that was specifically for pastors. So, so Go. getting to that point, you, yeah. you've shared with somebody that you're going through something. Yeah. And, and so somebody's starting to walk with you a little bit. You're not doing a whole lot. Yeah. But it was that some person, that person checking in with you. Mm-hmm. Hey, how are you doing? You know what? I'm not doing well. Yeah. And I know I'm not doing well. I need to do something different. Yeah. That encouraged you to take then the next bigger step. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so got into that. We did, did an online group and uh, it's about a 10 month process. It's intensive, definitely more intensive than I even knew, even having listened to their stuff and everything. But I think by that point, I was fairly convinced that this is what I need to do. That If I'm going to um, start to have any level of freedom, I need to make a bigger commitment and and uh, come out into the light, so to speak, with, with other people. And so um, – and my wife, they have a, a program for the spouses of those – uh, who are struggling in this area. And so um, she did that program as well. And that was really beneficial for her. And so. So what was that like? Now you've, you're starting in the program. Yeah. You realize this is maybe going to be it. And and together you're starting to go down this road. And you're starting to find a little bit of freedom, mm-hmm. find a little bit of better understanding. And, and that's a, maybe even a different podcast. Um, but. She's starting to find a little bit of, hey, I'm not alone. Yeah. You're, I'm not alone. Yep. What then did that look like between the two of you as you were walking down that road? Uh, We are both very much uh, rules-oriented people. So when they're like, you uh, we we didn't know how to talk to each other because like we don't want to mess this up, you know, mess up the process. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't 
we would talk, you know, like about how I was doing, but didn't really talk much about the programs themselves until we got through the end of it. And, um, the group that we did it through, they offered us a, uh, clinician guided full disclosure type of thing. And so we, we went through that. Um, and then we kind so you of went through the yeah. 10, the, uh, how, how long was it? 10 months, 10 month program. You're both going through, you're doing it individually. Mm-hmm. Um, not really connecting at that point over it. Um, yes and no. We were, we were connecting, but not, we didn't want to short circuit the, the process that they have. Um, I think both of us just, you know, having dealt with it for so many years, we're like, we, we want this to work. So we don't want to do anything to quote unquote mess it up. Right. And so, yeah, so there were, there were elements of the healing and everything that we didn't really talk about until after the fact. And so, uh, so intimacy, were were you becoming more authentic with each other at the same time? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. From that point on, like definitely sharing actually, I mean, it's been a whole process of learning how to actually talk about how we're feeling instead uh-huh. of uh, surface. I'm sorry. Wait, this is a podcast that's primarily men geared towards men. <laughs> and you just uttered the phrase talking about how yeah, we're feeling. Talking about your feelings. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we said it. It's out there. Yep. We're going to just keep trucking forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's part of the process, honestly, was learning to know what you're feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I couldn't describe to someone how I was feeling, uh, necessarily. And so we're, we're both still learning how to do that. Like what, what do I feel? Where am I at? You know? And so there's tools that they give you and other tools we've found to help you kind of identify that. And so definitely, uh, working through that and then, um, doing the full disclosure in some ways was kind of a reset. We knew it. I knew it would be because I knew there were parts of my story that she hadn't actually heard. And what they say is just to, you know, do it all at once. So you're not doing death by a thousand cuts of like, Oh, I remembered another thing, but just of, you know, sharing the whole thing. And so then it was working through all of that. Um, and so it's been, and so yeah. we're talking about emotions that you had. Sure. But I, I'm sure this had to stir all kinds of emotions in her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the their program that they have for the person of the, the spouse of someone who's struggling is called Betrayal and Beyond. And really, that's the issue. Betrayal. Um, for For my bride, everything that she had believed was basically a lie, right? It was this carefully crafted uh, persona. And... So just having to rework through all of that and to a certain extent, us getting to know each other all over again. And so through this process, both of us becoming more emotionally aware, um, being willing to actually open up with each other and share, okay, no, this is what I actually think. And there's been a few things where we've discovered, huh, I actually had no idea what you thought about this topic or this subject because both of us were um, trying so hard to preserve uh, – the semblance of unity that we had instead of actually being open with each other. Uh, we were conflict averse, like conflict mm-hmm. is bad and having to learn like no, actually conflict is healthy. How you resolve it is the issue. Right. And, uh, yeah, so still very much in that process. So in this process, did you also carry a burden or at some point in time, did you start to feel a weight for your wife's emotions? Definitely. Um, and I, I would say that that probably, There is so much um, healing that you have to do, I think, before you even recognize, oh, 
I've probably messed her life up pretty bad. It was like, you know that intellectually, but I don't know that I felt that until, you know, probably five, six months into this process. Um, and, ex- and, it, and until you feel it, yeah, she doesn't, can't even have the impression that you understand. Yeah, exactly. Because I could say, oh, I get it. I know what you're going through. But I didn't because I didn't actually feel it. And it took, you know, and I mean, I would have said, oh, I, I understand. And I would have been super authentic in that, but I actually couldn't until it's you almost capable. Like, no, because you're, you've in some ways like cauterized your emotions. You've, you've deadened yourself so much because you don't want to feel the guilt and the shame that you've, it, you, you can't single out an emotion not to feel. You just end up not feeling any of them. Right. And you don't even know that, right? Until you're into this process and -hmm. realizing, wow, I've been very shut down. And uh, so then again, it's you getting to know each other all over again. What was that? What was that like? Was that a good thing? Was it exciting? Was it on the good days? On the good days. (laughs) But even the adventure is exciting. Sure. Absolutely. Of of just recognizing like trust is learned and it's earned, right? Trust um, to, to realize like, okay, I can put this piece of myself out there. And, and, you know, you almost feel like you're, you're fishing. Like, I'm going to cast this out there and see what happens. Wait a second. That was, that was accepted. Nothing happened. Maybe, you know, and of her and I both learning, maybe this is safe. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can be safe with each other. And of course we're, we're imperfect people. So we don't do that perfectly, but just learning to be like sticking your toe in the water, um, is, is good. Okay. The water didn't feel bad. I'm going to stick my whole leg in, you know, and just learning that process uh, of learning and being open. Um, and honestly, uh, not to be depressing or anything, but it's just it takes time. Mm. It takes time. It takes time to heal and it takes time to relearn how to engage. So what it sounds to me like is you go from a kind of a drab meaning non-fulfilling life relationships you're kind of moving forward there's these false highs and lows to now there's more depth in your relationship the colors of life are are far more bright and intense sure would you agree with that yeah i would which makes it hard right because when you've deadened everything you're just kind of like meh but now when you actually feel things it can make life a lot more a lot more interesting but a lot more difficult sure no. And has the difficulty been worth it? Absolutely. So there's reward on the other side of climbing the hill. Absolutely. Yeah, it's worth going through the the bush to get to the picnic. Is yes, it is. What I've heard. Um, <laughs> so it sounds a little bit like what, you know, we talked about non-authentic to now being authentic. Taking the mask off, is that equivalent of you were talking about being set free? Yeah, yeah. Um... It's a weird feeling, right? To be like, okay, so I'm actually who I am, right? Um, and that's okay. Yeah, and and that's all right, and that's accepted. Uh, knowing that versus believing that is always I I I'm assuming at this point it's going to be a battle for me long term, right? Knowing that I'm accepted versus believing it, right? Um, but yeah, it's it can be terrifying. And I don't – I'm hoping that it will get easier in the future. I have no idea. Uh, But it's like it's terrifying every time to be like, okay, I'm going to put this piece of myself out there. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. 
because you're so tightly controlled before that that it's like nothing nothing gets put out there there's no vulnerability you mm-hmm. know and so vulnerable vulnerability is scary but like you said it's worth it because you can't be truly accepted if you're not known and you can't be known if you're not vulnerable Hmm. And you can't say that again. You can't be accepted if you're not known and you can't be known if you're not vulnerable and you can't even know yourself unless you're willing to be vulnerable and to be like, okay, this is, this is me and see what happens. (laughs) And so in this, this is truly what God's about. Yes. Yes. God is the one who says, I know you're a train wreck. I know all your secrets. And I still want to be in relationship with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I look back on kind of my whole life, what you see is, or what I see, is a God who is faithful. Who never was like, I'm done with this guy. (laughs) Man, if he hasn't got it by now, you know, no, he never does that. It's the, that loving pursuit, um, that continual, in a sense, like continually offering of himself. Hey, I'm still here. You're still welcome. Right. And seeing how throughout my life, it was God offering himself. I'm, I'm here. I want to be in relationship with you. You got to be, you got to be vulnerable. You got to be authentic. And, and in sense, like God waiting and waiting and patiently and lovingly and carefully sending things, sending people into my life to nudge me. Right. And it's mm. like, I sometimes think it's like the boat in the, in the middle of a raging river. And there's this, these logs that God would send that would bump me closer to the shore, bump me closer to the shore, bump me closer to the shore, not recognizing it at the time, but looking back and seeing like, wow, what a faithful God to be like. You know, in my mind, I, if I was dealing with someone like me, I'd be like, forget it. You know, I've spent so much time on this guy. and mm. But God doesn't do that. God goes, I have a reason and a plan and a purpose. And I called you and chose you on purpose, for mm. a purpose. And uh, I know that. I'm, I'm learning to believe that. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the process. And so... God has been how many years from when you first started to encounter this this poison in your life sure until you truly started that process so from first exposure to pornography was seven and uh started this process i think at like thirty six so like twenty nine years almost three decades yep God was patiently gently calling you continuing to all this time i'm assuming you're still praying to god he's answering prayers sure even though you don't feel worthy yeah even though you f- don't feel like you're performing he is still is showing up yeah you use the word faithful mm-hmm. i think gracious yeah absolutely and and now as you're starting to learn to be more authentic vulnerable with yourself mm-hmm. then you're experiencing deeper relationships absolutely both with, first of all, with yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And and recognizing, well, I'm going through this. This is what I'm feeling. Okay. Yeah. This is my emotion right now. 
maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and being able to sit in that moment and feel it and not feel guilty about feeling the emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Emotions are okay. That, was, that was a revolutionary concept. That was a revolutionary <laughs> Emotions are okay. And, and that's a, you say revolutionary, led to freedom. Yeah, absolutely. This is the freedom that God desires for us. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, I heard a picture one time of, of Jesus coming as we're standing at the mound of our sin that keeps growing exponentially. And Jesus throws his arm over our shoulder and he's like looking at it and go, yeah, there's a lot there. But we'll work on it. Yeah. Not all at once. <laughs> Thanks. As you're ready, we'll start, to, we'll start to unpack and start to clean that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and knowing – so let me back up a sec. You mentioned deeper relationships, and I don't know that I even recognized that at first, but recognizing like these are actual relationships because before the relationship was that somebody would have had with me would have been with the mask, not with me. Mm. And so it's like – so experiencing in some ways real relationships for the first time. Um, makes you feel weird because it's like, oh, here I am. I feel like I'm a full-grown man and I'm uh, learning how to have relationships. But there's something beautiful in that too because God I'm, – I'm learning how to have a relationship with God that's based on who he is and who he is uh, – who I am and who he's making me versus what I can do to please him. Mm. Right? Um, and that is – it's. I don't know. To some, it might sound like a small distinction, but for me, it's it's been huge. And that it's just a matter of being comfortable. He already knows. Mm-hmm. And it's that point where when we're willing to sit down and get to know ourselves well enough, be vulnerable enough to to listen to our emotions. One, a lot of it is, and 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 for a lot of people, it's they don't have the vocabulary. Yeah. So Google, you know, uh, emotion wheel or yep. how many emotions are there? And as a listener, you're going to get a huge list. Yes. Just start reading through the list. Familiarize yourself with those words. It's probably words you've heard, but you wouldn't think of them as emotions. And and a lot of us wouldn't think of them as emotions that we've experienced. Yeah. But being in that moment and once we are willing to admit what we're going through and what we're experiencing and admit that to God, he's like, sweet. We can talk about this now? Yep. All right, you're ready to go. Let's do this. Yep. And I, and I think that's a that's an exciting place to be with God. Yeah. When other times he's we feel like he's a long way away. And if I if I oh if I if I mention this and I, and if I mention this to God, he's he's gonna come after me. Yeah. And that's not the case at all. No. He's like eager to okay now let's 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 heal you've been struggling with this pain for years now let's heal it yeah yeah and god is always willing to offer all of himself right we're the ones who place the limits and the restrictions on what we're willing to receive and one of my favorite illustrations is you know uh, a couple driving in a pickup truck and and over the years, the wife moves from the middle seat over to sitting by the door, you know, and then she says, well, uh, well, how come we're not sitting close to each other? And he says, well, I didn't move, you know, and I, and I pictured that with God, God, God didn't move. We felt we distanced ourselves from him mm. for whatever reason. And he's like, he's still sitting in the same spot 
Right. And all we got to do is say something, right? And he's like you're saying, he's right there. He's hey, come on over, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that yeah, God's willing to give us all of Himself, we just have to be willing to receive it, and and willing as a grown man to crawl up in His lap as if we're still a child and have that father son relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And that's freedom. If um, do you have any closing thoughts as we're getting close to wrapping up for the listener or anything? I always have thoughts. No. Um, if if you're listening to this story and you thinking, man, if people knew the real me, I there's no stronger encouragement I can give you than just to say, reach out to someone. Mm. Don't wait because if you're like, well, I'll do that tomorrow. We both know that it isn't going to happen. But also just remember, God is not standing there with his arms crossed saying, you better prove yourself to me. He's standing there with his arms open wide saying, I already gave my son for you. And I am just waiting for you to run back into my arms. He's right there. Run back. He's not a judgmental God. He's not a judgmental God. He's a God who desires that relationship. I think of the, the story of, of, uh, that Jesus told of, of the prodigal son. Yep. And the dad sees the son on the horizon. The son has come to the realization of who he's, what he's done, wants to reconcile, wants to live healed. Yeah. In a healthy life and starts walking home and a dad, when he sees him on the horizon, runs yes. toward him. Yeah. So to change my, my illustration a little bit, God's not just standing there with open arms. If you start walking towards him, he's he's running after you, right? He's yeah. going to pick you up. Uh, he's going to carry you home. Um, but we got we to gotta take that step. He's there. He's waiting, right? Just like the father was. Uh and it's not until the son starts going towards him that the father grabs him. And so your father's waiting <laughs> to grab you. Right. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us and being a part of the Who is God podcast. Um, it's amazing to hear the story um, of how God has walked with you through this um, and how he's shown himself faithful, mm-hmm. how he's shown himself compassionate, full of grace, and how he's he's pouring on you and your wife the blessing of what intimate relationship is like and i and i see the love that you guys have for each other um and it's pretty awesome thank you i've enjoyed being on here well this has been the who is god podcast and i am thaddeus funk uh thanks for joining me and tune in again next time You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tacklebox Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.